If you were here last week, you know that we started a new sermon series about bread. Well, it's not about bread exactly, but it's about what Jesus did with bread when Jesus had it in his hands. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And using this biblical metaphor of bread, we're discovering some truths about ourselves. Now, in many ways, bread is really the perfect metaphor for our lives. It's ubiquitous, isn't it? It's everywhere. Every culture in the world has a form of bread. It's common. It's ordinary. Sometimes it's broken. But in Jesus' hands, it becomes sacred. It becomes miraculous. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what it means to be blessed what it means to be broken, and what it means to be given by Jesus. Today we're going to talk about the word blessed. Now, in our culture, we most often use the word blessed to mean something very different than what God means when he uses the word blessed. All you have to do is turn on the television or open a magazine or scroll through social media and you would soon think that to be blessed means to have a big home or movie star looks or a sports star super salary. We think that being blessed is drinking beautifully made picturesque lattes or having the beautiful, most beautiful kitchen remodel on the block or taking vacations that look spectacular when they're posted on Instagram. But none of these things has anything to do with what the Bible means with the word blessed. Now, many of the things that we think about when we think about a blessed life, health, provision, beauty, other things, they are, of course, gifts from God. But they are just like hints. They're like shadows of the real and true blessedness that God gives to us. In his beautiful book, Life of the Beloved, spiritual author Henry Nouwen writes this. He says, let me tell you what I mean by the word blessing. It comes from the Latin word from which we get our word benediction. And it means to, to speak well or to say good things of someone. It is more than a word of praise or appreciation. It is more than pointing out someone's talents or good deeds. It is more than putting someone in a good light. To give a blessing is to affirm, to say yes to a person's belovedness. And more than that, to give a blessing creates the reality of which it speaks. You see, a blessing touches the original goodness of the other, and it calls forth his or her belovedness. So to reframe how we think about blessing, we're going to have to go back to the very, very beginning. I'm reading from Genesis 1 this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was a formless void and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light 
was good. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. God made two lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which water teems and moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the seas and the birds and the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. You see, the creation story is rooted in the origin story of the entire universe. God established blessing from the very beginning of the foundation of the world. And if we want to understand who we are and what makes us blessed, we have to go all the way back to the creating, ordering, and blessing of the world. So when the Bible tells us the story of the beginning, it begins with a person, doesn't it? It begins with God. In the beginning, Genesis said, God. All things have their origin in God. Now, in the ancient world in which the book of Genesis was first formed and written down, everyone knew that some god with a little g or a collection of gods with a little g were responsible for the material world. Because people in ancient times, for them, the questions were not, did God make this and how, but which god, little g, made this and why? The questions of which god and why, they are important questions. They are significant questions. And these are the questions that the account in Genesis wants most of all to answer for us clearly. To the question, which God made the heavens and the earth, many of ancient Israel's neighbors, they would answer with the names of their own regional gods, who were often power-hungry or jealous, making deals with other gods to gain more ju jurisdiction. They would stop at nothing, sometimes even murder, to rule over all. And to the question, 
why did they make humans? The answer would be that humans were made to be slaves to the gods, to do the work that the gods did not want to do themselves. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> that doesn't sound very good to me. So when you start to compare the Genesis account to other ancient accounts, you begin to see how Scripture reveals a very different God. In particular, we notice three things that sets the God of Genesis apart from all the other gods of that day. First, Genesis reveals that there is only one God. Genesis reveals that Yahweh is the supreme sovereign God. Genesis reveals an entirely unique view of the spiritual realm. In contrast to all the other ancient Middle Eastern beliefs, one God stands apart as the sole sovereign ruler of all of creation. Genesis depicts no division of divine jurisdiction. And unlike the way their neighbors thought, Israelites did not have a separate God for the sea, a separate God for the land, a separate God of fertility. There was only one God. Jewish people start their day with the call to remembrance from Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh is set apart as uniquely powerful, greater than all the other gods. And as the lead character in these opening scenes of Genesis, God not only exists, but God acts. God is all throughout the opening passage as the only active character. There are no rivals. There is no one else adding input or ideas. There is simply God who speaks, who forms, makes, calls, and blesses. Secondly, the sole sovereign God creates the world on purpose and with purpose. And while that might seem obvious to us, it was not obvious for ancient readers. As I said, some other ancient people saw creation as the result of a bloody battle among the gods, or the gods' way of just getting cheap slave labor all over the universe. But not the God of Genesis. The God of Genesis sets out to make the world carefully, deliberately, methodically, even poetically. The opening chapter of Genesis has a song-like cadence to it. Genesis 1 and 2 were meant to be a purpose story, a song about why we're here and why it matters. And just what does Genesis say about why we're here? It tells us we are here because God called us into being. God made us on purpose and with a purpose in mind, not for cosmic slave labor, but for a divine, personal relationship with God. The third thing we see about God is that God blesses what he makes. 
Not only is God the sole sovereign and an intentional creator, but he is also the God who loves what he created, who blesses what he creates. And this is very different from other ancient accounts of the beginning of the world. From the beginning, the God who creates also blesses what he has made. And why wouldn't he? After all, he made it. He meant to make it. He called it good. And this word, good, it has a lot of different meanings, doesn't it? But one of the meanings that it can have and be used for is to to call something beautiful. And so in a very real way, all that is good, all that is beautiful in the world is the result of God's blessing. Think for a moment, if you will, about the Israelites some years later, living in exile in Babylon. They probably weren't feeling very blessed. They might have strained their eyes to see something of God's hand or trained their ears to hear something of God's voice when all of a sudden they remember this world, all of it, even Babylon, was made by God. This tree, this stream, this flower, this fruit, everything that flourishes around us flourishes because, because God blesses it. The blessing of God on the material world would have been a source of consolation, a spark of worship in an otherwise difficult land of exile. This is true of people, too. So let me ask you a question. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as good and beautiful? Is that how you see yourself? Maybe on a good day, right? Because I think we too often struggle to see ourselves as good and beautiful, let alone both. We're all too aware of our own shortcomings, our, our plainness, if you will. And many of us have voices in our head that tell us, I'm not really good. I'm a bit of a mess, actually. And beautiful? Well, I wouldn't go that far. Maybe I'm ordinary, You see, this Genesis story, though, grounds us in God. God himself made us on purpose and for a purpose and blessed us, calling us good and beautiful. That is our origin story. And if our blessedness is our origin story, then how do we claim it? How do we incorporate it? How do we receive our blessedness? Henry Nouwen says that it has to do with two things, prayer and presence. Prayer and presence. He says in prayer we learn to sit quietly with God and listen to God's voice whispering his love for us into our hearts. Now just in case you think that sounds easy to do, It is not easy to do. In fact, it may be one of the hardest things to do. It is not an easy discipline because the moment we try and sit quiet and still and listen, a thousand competing voices try to fill our head, don't they? 
Everything that we think about that we still have on our to-do list to do for the rest of the day tries to distract us and pull us away. And some of us are so used to hearing negative messages about ourselves that to sit there and listen to God's loving affirmations of us makes us feel awkward. It makes us uneasy, so much so that we might want to quit and run away. And other times, you might sit there and feel like nothing is happening, but after a time, you feel what God has been doing all along. You see, the movement of God's Spirit is very gentle. It's very soft. It's almost hidden sometimes. It doesn't seek attention. But that same movement is also very persistent. It's strong. It's deep. It changes our hearts radically. The faithful discipline of prayer reveals to you that you are the blessed one. And it gives you the power to bless others. Now, in second suggestion for claiming your blessedness is the cultivation of presence. And by that he means attentiveness, being aware of, looking for the blessings that come to you day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. We have to take notice to become mindful every time that we are being blessed. We have to stop. We have to listen. We have to pay attention and receive with grace what God is offering to us. At the time Life of the Beloved was written, Nowen, who was a Catholic priest, had taught in some of the most prestigious universities in all the world, decided to spend some of his final years living in a community of handicapped adults in the city of Toronto, Canada. And he said the people he lived among had so many blessings to offer, but that he often had to slow down and take note of them, or else he was likely to miss them. He writes in his book, Life of the Beloved, Adam, one of the members of my community, he cannot speak, he cannot walk alone, he cannot eat without help, cannot dress or undress himself, but he has great blessing to offer to those who take the time to be present with him, holding him, just sitting with him. It is a blessing that comes from simple presence. And as I read that in the chapter, I, I resonated so deeply, I couldn't help but think of my own grandson, Ace. You see a picture of him there, seven and a half years old. And in many ways, Ace is like Adam. He cannot speak in words. He cannot walk or feed himself. He cannot dress or undress. But every single time, I am around Ace. And I know this is true for everyone that is around Ace, and for many of you who've told me because you know his story or you follow it as we share some of it. It's the joy in that smile. 
It's the sound of his laughter. It's the snuggles that he loves to give or that to receive. It's the way he cracks himself up sometimes out of the blue. I have no idea what he's thinking or the jokes that he's telling himself. And it just brings a blessing to me, and it brings a blessing to the lives of everyone who has the blessing of knowing him. My friends, being blessed is not a state. It is a story. It is an origin story. It is the story of how you began and why. It is the story of God the Creator calling you into being on purpose and for a purpose. It's the story of God taking delight in you and naming you as good and beautiful. It's the story of God the Redeemer pursuing you, calling you, and returning you to who he made you to be. The God who called light out of darkness calls you out of darkness and into light. And in so doing, he brings you back to the beginning, back to your beginning. This is where it starts. You are blessed. Maybe that's not where your story is today. Maybe that's not where you feel your story is today. Maybe that's not what others have told you about yourself throughout your life. Well, Genesis has a few more stories of God's blessing to tell us. You'll remember in Genesis 12, God calls Abram from his father's home and he blesses him. But then in Genesis 16, God interrupts a female Egyptian slave who's on the run and he blesses her. Think about it, a female Egyptian slave. Now, in that day and time, nothing could have defined this woman as more of an outsider. She would have been thought of as the opposite of blessed. I mean, first of all, she's female. And to be female in the ancient world was not a great thing. It was, your value was only what it was insofar as you were useful, and to a man at that, Whether for offspring or pleasure or domestic labor, a woman's usefulness was seen as something that she had to prove. She was thought to possess no intrinsic value of her own. And then to be Egyptian, in the eyes of the Israelites, that meant she was an enemy. Later generations of Israelite children listening to these stories of their heritage, they would have marked this slave as definitely belonging to the wrong group, to the outsiders, to the enemy. And to be a slave meant you had no freedom, no future. Slaves had no right. They had no inheritance, no destiny. There is no reason that we should know this person's name. She should be an ancillary blip in the story, an outsider, invisible to God. Yet her name is Hagar. And she is on the run because Sarai, the barren wife, of this newly blessed Abraham, Sarai was jealous and resentful of Hagar. Genesis says that Sarai was harsh to Hagar. I mean, things had gotten so bad that Hagar thought that fleeing from her mistress out into the wilderness with no provisions and no plan would actually be better than staying in that house. Hagar, who was pregnant with Ishmael, was prepared to die in the desert. I mean, 
Hagar probably thought it over. She was sure no one would help, that no one would come to her rescue. But God did. God found Hagar by a well in the wilderness. She had stopped there, probably at a spring, for what could have been her final drink of water. And then an angel of the Lord met her there and called her by her name. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? You see, the angel asked Hagar two questions. Where have you come from and where are you going? Now, when God asked these questions, he wasn't launching an interrogation, right? He was staging an intervention. Because these two questions are about origin and destiny, aren't they? Hagar thought she knew her origin and her destiny, where she had come from and where she was going. But God was about to rewrite her story. God told Hagar to go back to Abraham's house. Not because God condoned Sarah's mistreatment of her. But because there was no other way for Hagar to be saved, she would have died out there in the wilderness. Verse 10, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. This is the same blessing that Abraham had just received. This was the promise that was restated when God made a covenant with Abraham in the chapter right before the Hagar story. That his offering, offspring, would be like the stars, too numerous to count. And so right from the start, God is making it clear. He wants everyone to be in on the blessing. He wants everybody to be swept up in his saving, redeeming love. And when Hagar understood this, oh, she was in awe. She had seen God. And Hagar responds by naming God. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Maybe you think you missed the Genesis 1 blessing. Maybe you find yourself on the run from pain or suffering, convinced that God doesn't see you. Well, I'm here to tell you today that God does see you. I am the messenger who's been sent to find you in the wilderness, to ask you where you think you've come from and where you think you're going, and to tell you that God is rewriting your story. Your origin is far better than you ever thought it was, and so is your destiny. Remember the bread that Jesus took and blessed did not become something else. It became what bread was meant to be. Material things are not opposite of sacred things. You see, the whole created world was made to be a container of God's glory. That includes you. 
To be blessed is to be returned to our origin, to our destiny. It is not simply to be restored. It is to be restoried. Janet was one of the handicapped members who lived in the community where Henry Nowen served in Toronto. And one time before their regular prayer service, Janet asked Pastor Nowen for a blessing. And Henry started automatically, almost perfunctorily, to give her a blessing by making the sign of the cross on her forehead with his thumb. And Janet stopped him and said, No, I want a real blessing. (laughs) And Henry realized that something very special was being asked for. And he wasn't sure what exactly. He writes, as Janet came forward, she put her arms around me and she put her head on my chest. And without thinking, I covered her with the sleeves of my white robe so she was almost enveloped in them. And I said, Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes. Your beautiful smile, your kindness to the people in your house, and all the good things you do show us what a beautiful human being you are. I know you feel a little low these days and that there is some sadness in your heart, but I want you to remember who you are, a very special person, deeply loved by God and all the people who are here with you. And Janet looked at Henry, and her broad smile showed him that she had understood and received the blessing. And then another woman raised her hand and said, I want a blessing too. (laughs) And then another, and another. I mean, who wouldn't, right? And finally, John, one of the assistants who worked at the community, raised his hand, and he said, what about me? And he came forward, and I said this blessing to him, John, it is so good that you are here. You are God's beloved son. Your presence is a joy to all of us. And when things are hard and burdensome, always remember that you are loved with an everlasting love. And John looked at Henry Nowen, tears streaming down his face, and he said, thank you, thank you, very much. And in that moment, Henry Nowen said that he recognized the importance of blessing and being blessed and reclaimed it as a true sign of the beloved. You see, the blessings that we give to each other are expressions of the blessing that rests on all of us from all eternity. The God who called light out of darkness. The God who called Abraham from his father's house. The God who called Hagar out of the wilderness is calling you. God has come to bless you today. He has come to rewrite your story, to return you to your origin and to your destiny. A destiny, a future filled with hope. So place your hands in the hands of the one who created you and loves you today. Would you pray with me? 
Holy One, we give you thanks and praise. You are the creator, the sole sovereign of the entire universe, and you formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life, and you called us very good, very good. You blessed us as good and beautiful. Father, sometimes it's hard for us to remember. Forgive us, we pray. Help us this day in a new way to receive the blessing that you want to give us. And we know that you always bless your people so that, there's always a so that, we can be a blessing to others. And so this day, Lord, help us to live in it and love it and claim it so that you can send us forth to be a blessing to others too. For we pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.